Well, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I want to acknowledge all the mothers. Um, if you are a bonus mother, if you are a grandmother, godmother, stand up, stand up. If you are, if you are an auntie and you have been entrusted with the care of little ones, stand up. If you basically sit, stand up. And I would like uh, Deacon Patrick Sims, if you could solicit another man and honor the women that are standing. We, we have some candles over here. If you would bring them and present them to our mothers and mother figures. Amen. We want to show our appreciation to you on this day. Sister Angela, just raise your hand, we'll get you. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Everyone is acknowledged. Sister um, April, did you get one? Right there, April. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Father, I come to you right now thanking you for this time, this opportunity, for this special occasion, Lord. We honor our mothers. We want to just lift them up, Heavenly Father. Be with them, Heavenly Father, in their brightest and darkest moments. Give them strength. Give them courage. Bless their families. Give them peace. Lord, we just thank you. Use me as a vessel for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to share a uh, written prayer with you. It's titled, A Mother's Day Prayer. Lord, today we pray for mothers everywhere. Bless moms who are expecting a baby, calm their fears, and keep their new little life safe. Bless mothers who have babies and toddlers and are busy in a season of bottles, sippy cups, and endless laundry. Give strength to moms of little ones. They need it, Lord. Bless mothers who have busy school-age children. Give them with an extra measure of wisdom to answer questions, model integrity, and mold young hearts. Bless mothers who parent teens. Allow them the grace to let go when needed and the courage to provide firm boundaries when required. Bless mothers of young adult children that they would savor the joy and friendship with their children. Bless single and widowed moms 
with the strength to fulfill their many roles. Provide them with supportive people in their lives. Bless the moms who are married, that they would care for their children while making their husbands a priority. Bless grandmothers who have the double pleasure and blessing of being both mother and grandmother. May they spoil their kids with abandon. We pray peace for mothers who have lost a child and for women who are grieving because of infertility. Give us eyes to see women around us who struggle to mother well. Help us be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Thank you for mothers, our mothers. We are forever grateful to them. We pray for mothers everywhere. In Jesus' name, amen. And this prayer is by Sarah Borgstead. Mothers, we're often referred to as the hand that rules the world because of our influence and impact on our children. I think most of us, if not all, have been helped by or inspired by a noble mother or mother figure. At the mother's knee, around the kitchen table, the foundation of life is laid. For me, motherhood is a love thing. It was love at first thought, kick and kiss. And even though our children, Pastor, are grown, Joseph, Kiana, Rachel, and Sarah, my maternal heart is always full. Love is a powerful action that bonds. Mothers communicate without words. And I saw you do that, Sister Erica. <laughs> Just look at Natalie and she kind of snapped out of it. <laughs> we give a certain look, a glance, a hug, or a pinch. My mother was notorious for pinching us in church. <laughs> and I was the youngest of three, and I sat next to her. So guess who got most of the pinches? <laughs> Yours truly. But I knew her actions were fueled by love. Amen. Not only do we love through the formation of a close relationship, as between a mother and a child, or in the case of Naomi and Ruth, a mother and daughter-in-law, but it also may occur between a person and a pet. Our pets are integral family members. Bella, Benji, Foxy, Kaisho, Scar, Ella, Lily, Jojo, to name a few of our furry kids. We mother them too. To underscore motherly love, some of you have observed firsthand or through social media a female dog nursing um, a newborn kitten or squirrel. Such displays of maternal affection between different types of animals are instinctive acts of love. Motherhood doesn't require a genetic link. It's a heart love thing. In Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, he provides ethical instructions for women wives and mothers in the congregation, promotes sisterhood, shares insight regarding love and the divine ministry of homemaking. I noticed that verse three is separated from verses four and five. By an adverb, if you're reading from the NIV version, then a semicolon, if you're looking at the King James version, or a coordinating conjunction, 
the Amplified Bible. So, which means verses 4 and 5 are directly associated with verse 3. If the condition or the status in verses 3 is present, then the action in verses 4 and 5 can occur. So let's look at our scripture. It reads, Older women similarly, likewise, as instructed to the older men in the previous verses, are to be reverent, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is right and good. And then there's that um, coordinating conjunction. So what is Paul saying in verse 3? He's identifying some qualities, characteristics. The older women must possess this. They must be holy, virtuous, reverent, God-fearing. They must be godly women. And only then they may encourage the younger women to tenderly love their husbands and their children, to be sensible, pure, makers of a home where God is honored. Good nature being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Mothers, did you see yourself in the text in verse 3, 4, or 5? Are you an encourager? Are you a godly woman? By definition, if you're a godly woman, you're a role model. Are you teachable? In these verses, Paul encouraged intergenerationality, a.k.a. He was introducing first century sisterhood or Christian sorority, uniting women of God of different ages and stages. Amen? Amen. In that time and place, older women would have been those around 40 years old or older. These women were usually married, had raised children, and had ample experience to pass on to younger women. Paul recognized that the older godly women, as opposed to himself or Titus or any male, could inspire the younger women to attentively love their husband and children and help them answer the high calling of nurturing households that serve God's purposes. In business, this concept is called cross-training or leadership training, knowledge transfer. I remember being helped on a professional level, and how much I appreciate the special relationships and allies. Mothers, if teaching, training, and becoming work on a secular level, just think how much more we can benefit through a godly sisterhood. As iron sharpens iron, and a sisterhood provides many benefits, such as support, encouragement, and accountability. Whose life are you speaking into? And who is speaking into your life? A key element to standing strong in our Christian walk is intentionally surrounding ourselves with Titus, two, three women, a sisterhood. If you identify with verse three as a seasoned woman of God who is spiritually discipled, pay it forward. If you see yourself in verses four and five, remain teachable and pay it forward. It struck me as a little strange that Titus would need to convey moral instructions on loving one's children and homemaking. However, Titus was in Crete, a Mediterranean island which lies directly south of the Aegean Sea. And the social order there 
did not always encourage the basics of maternal commitment or marital fidelity. At that time, life in Creek had sunk to a deplorable moral level. We read in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, that, quote, even one of their own prophets had said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, unquote. So the task assigned to Titus and to all true believers of the Lord was to teach what is proper for sound doctrine. He was to close the terrible schism between the lips of God's people and their lives. We don't have that problem today. <laughs> the word love in verse 4 is paired with that for one's husband and children. Love here means philia, friendship bond. The fact that the younger women needed to be encouraged by the older women to love their husbands and children implies that love is not automatic. And certainly not an eros, romantic, intimate love that one would have for a spouse or storge, maternal love that one would have for a child or a child would have for a parent. Paul recognized that love does not always flow out of a person, even a wife and mother, as from a fountain or mountain spring. Love in the family requires thoughtfulness, and even some mothers have to work at it. And just a note, if you're dating, you don't just fall in love like you fall asleep or fall into footstep. Love is a process that is carefully and prayerfully nurtured. A few of my favorite examples of maternal love include, I call the unnamed true mother. You may recall in 1 Kings chapter 3, there were two women and they were quarreling over who is the mother of the baby. And one woman said, um, well, both mothers claim to be the mother, but one woman said um, she relinquished her custody of the baby when Solomon said, well, we'll just divide the baby in half and we'll just kill the baby. And she said, no, I'll relinquish my custody to save the baby's life. And my second example would be Jochebed, the mother of Moses. We already know she was the mother with the plan. She released her baby in River Nile to save Moses' life. These are historic examples of maternal love. These mothers were willing to give up their babies to save them. God's love is like a mother's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to save our lives. Amen. But as Paul intimates in verse 4, love is not necessarily spontaneous. We can only give what we possess. Think about it. It's hard to love if you don't know what love is. Paul provides a treatise on love, contrasting the characteristics of true love in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angry. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. These are the qualities of true love. Paul documents the tenets of true love, and God demonstrates true love in action. Our salvation is an expression of God's love. I can only imagine the older mothers graciously urge the younger women and mothers to tenderly 
love their children because God first loved us. Our ability to love is enabled through God's love. 1 John 4, 7. All love comes from God. It's never self-generated. And 1 John 4, 8 describes one of God's primary attributes as love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love permeates his essence in all he is and all he does. Everything he has ever done has been out of love. With such an awesome display of unconditional, kind of a copy love, our love mothers for our children, family, and others is an outflow of God's love for us. Not only can we love our family as appropriate within each relationship, but we can also love our enemies through God's supernatural grace and divine power. In verse 5 of this didactic letter from Paul, the younger women and mothers are also urged by the older women and mothers to be busy or workers at home. This brings me to my final point, homemaking. Essentially, mothers, we should be busy, tight as tooing, striving to make our homes a beautiful and pleasant place for family. Here, Paul encourages mothers to be good-natured, kind, basically nice people to be around, even when our kids and others are trying our patience. But mothers, we got this because homemaking involves the entire household. Once again, Paul, who was a prolific writer, literally brings it home to our living rooms in his instructions to Christian households in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with the 22nd verse of 6-4. In these passages, his appeal for personal holiness in the household addresses the whole family to promote harmonious relationships. After instructing us, the believers, on how to live holy and worthy of our calling in the preceding verses, Ephesians 4:17 through 5:20, Paul instructs us on how to live within the household. The link between these two is 5:21. Submit to one another out of reverence for God. The mutual submission called for in the household instructions is one of the results of being controlled by the Holy Spirit or filled by the Holy Spirit. And we don't hear a lot about submitting as being one of the results of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. We hear about speaking or singing and thanking, but submitting is one of the results of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to um, just read Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. I'll highlight a few points. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband, as is fitting in the Lord. Ephesians 5.22 Husbands, love your wives sacrificially, as Christ loved the church, and as your own bodies. Ephesians 5.25 and 28 Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing in the Lord. Ephesians 6.1 Each member of the household is responsible for transforming a house into a home. It's going to park right there. <laughs> Mothers, our divine service as homemakers, nurturing, managing, and maintaining a home, is best realized when the Christian household is aligned with God's word. It takes a household. We can buy a house, but we cultivate a home. As unity in Christ reigns in our households, 
the community sees the impact of the gospel lived out through us, and the word of God is not dishonored. Titus 2.5. God's handiwork in creation is a perfect example of creating a beautiful, pleasant living environment. In Psalm 104, I love the poet's example and description of God's magnificent provision of creation, our earthly home. The writer views the creation displayed before his eyes and sings the glory of its maker and sustainer. It's a celebration of God's many wise and benevolent acts in creation. And in Genesis chapter 1, we read how God set the atmosphere and ambiance for us to live safely and securely. God's handiwork is wonderfully described as preparing the world, earth, to sustain life. God didn't seem to hold anything back, including granting us dominion over the earth and everything that moves upon the earth. Genesis 1.28. What is man that you are mindful of him? Psalms 4, 8.4. And if that isn't enough, God's preparing an eternal home comprised of many rooms, amen, mansions for us to be with him. Mothers, home and bodies are faith, family, and heart. We've been given the humbling ministry of homemakers. Home is where we can best demonstrate our love for our children by nurturing them, teaching them, and instilling in them godly character. Home is where we can demonstrate hospitality and devote ourselves to good works. Home is a refuge, protection from sinful influences of the world. Oh, what a blessing is love in our relationship. And what a gracious influence love has upon our children, especially when the whole household is perfumed in love. Motherhood is a ministry of love, enabled and empowered by God, our source of love. It's the gift that keeps on giving. With each stage of life and new generation, we give and receive love and knowledge, impart pearls of wisdom, while witnessing reflections of our grandmothers, mothers, and ourselves. Anne Frank wrote, dead people receive more flowers than living ones because regret is stronger than gratitude. Let's give our mothers flowers while they can still smell them. Make sure that the most important mother or mother figure in your life knows just how much she's loved today and every day. Amen.